Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Scott Anderson. Would you guys rise today as we read from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12? This is the word of the Lord. Grab your Bibles or you can follow along there. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Your desire, your desire, but do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify you hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, for indeed it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Holy Spirit, this day we pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to apply to our lives. We pray, Lord God, that you speak through Jason. Use him as your instrument this day. We pray in your name. 
Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you in the Quad City family with us, as well as all of those out in Prescott Valley today. So grateful that you are worshiping with us this morning. If you're a newcomer with us, so glad that you're here. I would love the opportunity to connect with you out in the lobby here at the Preston campus, off to the left. We have a place we call Pastor's Point, and I'll be hanging out there after the service. would welcome you to come by and introduce yourself. For those of you in Prescott Valley, you can go to Connection Central uh, there in the atrium, and they will. Uh, some of our pastoral staff will be there, and they would love to connect with you as well. Today, we are continuing this series that we've been in since the beginning of the year that we're calling Beyond Belief, and we're working our way through the book of the Bible called James. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on, turn them to James chapter 4. And we got a lot that we're going to run through today, and so uh, we're going to dive right in. If you have not been with us throughout this series, you can catch up. It all connects together. Uh, you can do that through our YouTube channel, our website, our app, wherever you get your podcasts. It's all out there everywhere. Uh, you can catch up that way. But we're going to dive right in today because we've got a lot of ground to cover. And here's where we're starting. What causes fights and quarrels among you? I feel like we could just save some time today. Is anybody here dealing with any fights and quarrels? I feel like as a culture, we've got this one figured out, right? We don't need to worry even about this one. Uh, actually, as I read this question, I felt like there might have been a typo. That James might have given us a bit of a, of a typo here. Because the issue really isn't what causes fights and quarrels. I feel like it should be who, right? Like that's an easy question to answer. Like who causes the fights and quarrels among you? In fact, I feel like we could just take a moment right in our gathering today and just have you turn to your neighbor and say, answer the question, who causes the fights and quarrels? And my guess is there'd be a lot of he does, right? She does. She causes all the fights and the quarrels. It's the kids. The kids, if we could just get rid of the kids, all the fighting and the quarreling, be over. It's the customers. The customers, that's where all the fights and quarrels come. It's the insecure mother-in-law. If we could just get her out, then we wouldn't have to worry. It's the bratty teenager. It's my Karen of a neighbor. Like, if I were to ask you, who causes the fights and quarrels among you? You could answer that one quickly. We could point out where the problem is. But James doesn't give us this question. He doesn't give us a who question. He gives us what. What causes the fights and quarrels? And to make sure that we don't miss the answer, he makes sure and writes it down for us. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? They come from your desires, the battle within you. James makes sure that we understand when we're looking for a reason why we have fights and quarrels all around us, you don't need to look outside of yourself. You need to look in the mirror. It's your desires, he says, and your, uh, the battle within you. The point is, the problem isn't out there somewhere, it's in here, it's in you. 
when it comes to fighting and quarreling, there's this, this thing in us that tells us that it's everybody around us. It's all their fault. They are the problem. But James says, no, 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 the issue is actually in you. It's in you. What causes your fights? It's in you. It's your desires. Now, this word desires comes from the Greek word uh, hedone, where we get the word hedonism. It means pleasures. It's this, it's this thing in us where we want what we want and we want it now. It's our desires. It's those sinful pleasures in us, the self-indulgent part of us that we're tempted to give ourselves over to. And it's that, that, that sinful desire, that pleasure that is at battling within us. And James says, that's what causes the fights and quarrels among you. It's those selfish desires. And you have them, and you have them, and you have them, and all y'all in PV have them. You have them, and I have them. Like, I got them. In fact, as I wrote this, I was thinking, I, I would be embarrassed to think about what my life would be like, what kind of evil I would allow myself to give into if I knew I would never get caught and there would be no consequences. Like if I just let my desires do what they wanted, that evil is in me and every person on the planet has that evil in them and it's at work and it's battling within us. And when we give ourselves over to it, we end up actually pitting ourselves against one another. Because my desires are often going against your desires. And that's what causes the fights and the quarrels among us. Is because I want what I want and you want what you want or you want what I want and we can't both have it. So we fight and we quarrel. You desire but you do not have and so you kill, you covet. But you cannot get what you want and so you quarrel and you fight. Now, I don't think James is literally saying that the people in the church were killing each other. But let's be honest, it does happen in humanity, right? Like every serial killer documentary that I've watched stems from some guy not getting what he wants and so he kills so that he gets his pleasures fulfilled. Like it's literally the root of every serial killer I've ever seen interviewed. But I think James is being hyperbolic here, and part of the reason I know is because if you just killed everyone, then you wouldn't end up fighting and quarreling about it, because they'd be dead. Okay, so I don't think he's, I think he's being a bit hyperbolic, but at the same time, he is tapping into a feeling that we all have that's very real. Think about how many times in your life have, have you had that moment where you've said, I could just kill him. I'm going to kill her. I will snatch the life right out of you. Like if you're a mom, I guarantee you've said that, right? I brought you into this world. Now, go back to a moment when you've felt that, when you've said that out loud. And again, you were being hyperbolic. You didn't really want to kill him or I'd have to call CPS. You didn't want to, but you said it think about the moment, what was going on? What was the context of you saying that? And I will bet you 
that when you said it, it was in a moment where you were not getting what you wanted, where your desire was not being met. You said it, most often we say it when we don't get what we want and our desires aren't met and it stirs up this anger in us or sometimes a covetousness in us, specifically when we see somebody else is getting the thing that we want. And when we don't get what we want, we begin to quarrel and we fight because my, my desires aren't being met. I'm going to kill you because you're not doing what I want. Or you're keeping me from doing what I want. But what if? What if you're not getting what you want isn't actually their fault? What if they're not the ones who are keeping you from getting what you want? What if there's, what if there's something or maybe even someone more powerful and bigger at work for you not getting what you want. James says, You're, you desire, but you don't have. So you kill, you covet, because you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. But he says, but you do not have because you do not ask God. He says, it's not their fault at all. The reason you're not getting what you want... Let me back up. One of the reasons you may not be getting what you want is because you're not asking God. Like this goes back to James chapter one where James reminded us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of heavenly lights. All the good stuff comes from our heavenly father. And he says, the reason you don't have what you want is because you're trying to get it from people who can't give it to you. Or you're trying to provide for yourself to meet a need that you don't have the ability to provide for. All the good stuff, all the good desires that we want fulfilled in our life, they come from God. And James says, part of the reason you're not getting what you want is you're trying to snatch it from people who can't even give it to you. And you're neglecting to ask the one who has the power to give you everything you need. But here's what I know too. This isn't true for all of you. What I mean is, some of you have asked God, and you've asked him a lot, and you've begged, and you've prayed, and you've pleaded, and you've wept, and you're asking, and you're asking, and you, it's, in your mind, it's a good thing that you're asking for, and you're begging God to give you the thing. You're not trying to steal it from other people. You just, you're begging God to provide for this thing that you're asking, and it still hasn't come yet. Questions why? Why hasn't God met that desire that you have? James gives us an option of why. He says, because when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That what you may that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Like this one hurts a little bit. James says the reason. But you don't always get what you want. Your desires are left unmet is because your motives are selfish. At the end of the day, you're only looking out for you. You want God to meet your desires so that you have more for you. So that you can have more money for you. So that you can have more time for you. 
so that you can have more energy for you, so that you can have more comfort for you, so that you can have more companionship for you, so that you can have more influence for you, so that you can have a bigger platform for you. And God's like, why would I pour out my blessing only to have you hoard them? Like we talked about this when we did our Excel series a few months ago, that we were made to be the conduits of the gifts of God. That he gives them to us so that they can be poured out through us. But many of us have become the containers of God's good gifts. Instead of the conduits, instead of it flowing through us, we're the containers. We just hoard it all and keep it to ourselves. And James says God isn't interested in meeting your desires that come from your selfish motivations. Now James is going to turn up the heat a little bit as if this has not been hot enough already. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Now we, we often will read our Bible and we read something, a phrase like that. We just kind of buzz right on past it. We don't feel the weight of it. There are nine instances in this letter. It's only five chapters. Nine instances where James calls the people he's writing to brothers and sisters. Or sometimes he calls them dear brothers and sisters. But here, writing to those same people, he says, you adulterous people. Like we ought to feel the weight of that. Like this is accusatory. This is, he has ramped up the language here. You adulterous people. Now, Let's pause for a moment. Let's play this out. What does it mean when someone is an adulterous person? What is adultery? Adultery is when a person who is in a covenantal relationship steps out on the one that they have made vows to and gives themselves over to someone else. That's an adulterous person. That is adultery. And that's exactly what James is accusing these people of. But he isn't talking about adultery in a marriage per se. No, no, no. This relationship is much more important than a marriage. It's eternal. It's a relationship with God. These people, like many of us, had committed themselves to the Lord. They entered into a covenantal relationship with God himself and declared that he was their God and, he, and that they then became part of his bride, the church. They declared him to be the Lord of their life. They declared themselves to be his and his alone, but now they're stepping out on him. And who is the mistress that they're giving themselves over to? The world. They've given themselves over to the world. They're stepping out of their covenantal relationship with God and are becoming friends with the world. We talked about this a few weeks ago. There are three enemies of God at work to lure us away from our relationship with God. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three enemies of God. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And again, by world, what we, we're not talking about like the physical world, as in the 
rivers and the rocks and the trees. We're not talking about the mountains and the lakes and the stars. We're talking about the culture and the systems and the values and the philosophies and the standards and the moralities of those who do not follow after Jesus. That's the world that he's describing. And look at what James says. Don't you know, and again, I've said this a hundred times here. Whenever you read the phrase, don't you know, what he's really saying is, you should know. You should know this. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Don't you know that word enmity means to be hostile toward? means someone who you are opposing. He says, friendship with the world means that you are now opposed to God. You are living hostile to God. Just so you know, that's not a good place to be. Which made me ask, as I was working through this text for this message, it made me ask, okay, so how do I know if I'm, if I'm living with friendship with the world? Because it's not a good place. I don't want to be at enmity with God. So how do I know that I'm not living as friends of the world? Which made me just start backing up. Okay, so what does friendship look like? How do we define what a friend is? How do you know if you're friendly with somebody? Okay? I need to know that because I don't want to be at enmity with God. So, so what is friendship? Now, we know we're not talking about Facebook friends. We're not talking about Instagram friends. We're not talking about those relationships where you are digitally stalking people and you know everything about their life even though you've never met them. Just so you know, all of you Swifties out here, you may know everything about Taylor. She ain't your friend, right? You've never been in her presence. She does not know your name, okay? Just because you know everything about her doesn't make her your friend, okay? That is not real friendship. What, what I'm talking about is those three, maybe four, maybe if you're really lucky, five people that you've had maybe in your entire life who are truly your friends. They are the ones that you could pick up your phone right now and you could call them and say, I need you to show up today. And they're seven states away, but they would be on a plane tonight to come be with you with no questions asked. All you'd have to say is, I need you to get here, and I can't tell you why, and they'd say, okay, I'll see you in six hours. That's the kind of friendship James is alluding to. So, with that idea of friendship... What does friendship in those relationships look like? What are the telltale signs that you have a friend like that? I wrote down a few options here. Our true friends, here's what we know. Our true friends are the people that we tend to kind of dress like them. It's true. We kind of share the same tastes, shop at the same stores. We talk like them. We use the same vernacular, dumb phrases that we use back and forth. We listen to them. We're influenced by them. Their words matter to us more than other people's words. You have some people in your life, their words just matter more. 
We like the same taste in music and books and hobbies. We get each other's humor. If you didn't, you wouldn't be friends with them. When we're bored, we reach out to them. When we're sad, we call them. When we need to vent, we vent to them. When we have bad news, we mourn with them. When we have good news, we rejoice with them. They're the ones that we go to when we need some good advice. And at the end of the day, we are all shaped by the friends that we make. Now, here's here's the question. If that is some of the hallmarks of how friendship works, then here's the question we have to wrestle with. Who do you have a greater friendship with? Jesus or the world? Be careful before you answer too quick. Who do you look more like? Jesus or the world? Do you dress like, speak like, talk like, laugh like. Who influences you more? Jesus or the world? You gotta be really careful with this one because you'll be convinced, the world will convince you that they look like Jesus. Who do you spend more time with? Jesus or the world? Whose counsel do you take more readily, Jesus or the world? Who do you go to when you need comfort? Jesus or the world? Where do you go when you're sad? To Jesus or the world? Like we need to be honest with ourselves about this. Far too many of us, including myself, I can get really, really cozy with the world and it's dangerous because it makes me hostile toward God. And I don't think any of us do this on purpose, but it happens. And you know why it happens? Why I think it happens? Because of those evil desires in us. I think the root issue for most of us is that when it comes to our coziness to God or our coziness to the world, we tend to gravitate to the one who's gonna give us what we want. We tend to gravitate toward the one who's gonna give us our desires. And when we feel like God is not meeting those sinful desires that I have, then I will walk away from God like an adulterous spouse and I will turn to the world to get what I'm looking for. And that's a dangerous place to be. Why? Don't you know friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, in conclusion, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world will become an enemy of God. No longer just at enmity with God, we actually become an enemy of God. When we align ourselves with the world, we are lining up in opposition to the God of the universe. When we look like the world, when we act like the world, when we have the same values as the world, when we allow the world to influence us in our thinking more than God, we are stepping across the line and we are joining the enemy ranks. Or don't you, or do you think that scripture says without reason that 
He jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us. Our God is a jealous God. But not like a jealous husband who's mostly jealous out of his insecurities. God is not jealous of us. He is jealous for us. Like he wants what's best for us. And do you know what's best for us? He is. And so when we step out and give ourselves over to the mistress of the world, God is jealous for us. And he's not going to tolerate his bride putting him in second place to anything or anyone. He has put his spirit in his people. His spirit that he's caused to dwell in us and he will not tolerate allowing his people to take the spirit that he has put in them. He won't allow that spirit to be taken away or drug into an inappropriate relationship with the world. There is some good news. Anybody want some good news right now? But he gives us more grace. Can I get an amen on that one? There's grace. There's grace available for us. So take a deep breath. There's grace. He gives us more grace. Now, the question is, how do we receive that grace? Well, he tells us, but he gives us more grace. Here's the promise of that grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And I pause. I hate that the NIV, my Bible, the one that we preach out of, not, no translation's perfect. This one makes me crazy. This point of this one, this word favor here is the exact same word as grace right here. It's the same. I don't know why they didn't put it the same. It's the same word, okay? What James is trying to say is, but he gives more grace that's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How do we receive more grace? We humble ourselves. You want more grace? We humble ourselves. That's how we get more grace. I point this out a lot. It says, God opposes the proud. We need to hear this. God is not neutral. He's not ambivalent. He's not Switzerland when it comes to pride in your life. It's not as if when we are walking in pride, God says, well, I'm just gonna stand over here until you get that worked out and then I'll come back. No, no, no. He doesn't step aside. He steps in front. He opposes us when we're walking in pride. He opposes us. He stands against us when we're walking in pride. He goes from becoming our, from being our advocate to being our adversary. He goes from being our friend to being our enemy when we are walking in pride. He opposes us. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We don't want God to be our adversary. We want him to be our advocate. So how do we make sure that, that we 
are not standing opposed to God, but we are standing with God. He shows grace to the humble. So how do we, what does being humble look like? Here's what it looks like. Submit yourselves then to God. This is what humility, this is how humility works. You submit yourself to God then. This is where it starts. It starts with you, again, using this language of opposition and enemy and fighting that he's leveraging. Submitting is surrender. You fall on your face before and you lift up your hands. You lay down your weapons. You surrender. When you enter into a battle that you cannot win, you surrender. That's what James is calling us to. We don't get to come to God and negotiate terms of agreement. We don't get to come to God with with our terms of surrender. We, We don't get to negotiate a deal with the Lord. We come and we hold up our hands. We come in full submission and we make ourselves subject to the King of Kings. That's where we start, but it's not where we end. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we submit to God, and we resist the devils. Turns out, when you submit to God, it does not mean that the war is over. It just means you're now on the right side of the battlefield. The war's still raging. You're just now on the other side. You're you're now aligned with the good guys, but the bad guys are still ready to fight. And you have to fight back. Literally, this is language of fighting. You have to resist. You have to put up a fight. You got to battle. You have to resist the devil. You have to stand up against the opposition. Now, the good news is, he says, when you do that, when you fight him, who's trying to take you out, he will flee. Now, he doesn't flee forever. We all know he comes back with a new game plan, a new battle tactic. He won't flee forever, but he'll flee for now. And this this is something we do over and over and over. We submit and resist and submit and resist and submit and resist over and over and over. But the good news is, As you are submitting and resisting the devil, submitting to God and resisting the devil, and he's fleeing, he's running away, God runs toward. Look at this. Come near to God and he will come near to you. When you resist the devil and you turn toward the Father, the devil's running away and God is running toward This is amazing. God's run near to us. He isn't distant. He does not want you to have an Instagram friendship with you, whereby you've read his biography and you know everything about him, but you've never been in his presence. He wants you in his presence because he knows your name. And he's done everything that's needed to do To make that possible, all you have to do is resist the devil and come near to him. And he'll meet you right where you are. And what does turning to him look like? 
Come near to God and he will come near to you. How do I come near? Here's how, here's how. You wash your hands, you sinners. And you purify your hearts, you double-minded. You grieve, you mourn, you wail, you change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is biblical picture of what repentance looks like. This is, what, this is how we come near to God, is we repent. This is what submitting and surrendering looks like. The Bible word is repentance. It's the moment that you turn from your sin with a broken heart. And your hands are up and you say, oh, I've messed it up over and over. God, forgive me. And I'm washing my hands of the sin again. Here's the question, are you doing that? I didn't ask, have you done that? Like, are you doing that? Like, this is not a one-time thing. Again, James is writing to the church. People he's called brothers and sisters, they did this already. I did it when I was saved. Yeah, yeah, but are you doing it now? Like, he's calling them to do it now. He's not pointing back to a time when they did it. He's saying, no, 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 do it now. Wash your hands now, you sinners, and purify your hearts now, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to go. Repent now. Like, this is an everyday thing for us. Every day of our life, we're going to be resisting the devil and surrendering to God, surrendering to God and resisting the devil. And every time we choose not to surrender to God or every time we choose not to resist the devil, it's an opportunity for us to come back to this point and surrender again. And when we do that, every time we do this, the promise is God will come near to you. He'll come near. To sum it up, James gives us this command. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Don't miss this. Humility is not a gift you receive. It is a command you obey. Many of us Look at humility as if it's something that God's going to give us. God, make me humble. And God says, no, 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 no. Humble yourself. It's a command to obey, not a gift we receive. Many of us are walking around in our pride and say, well, I prayed for God to make me humble and he hadn't done it yet, so until then. No, this is a command to obey. You humble yourselves whether you feel like it or not. And when we do that, God will lift you up. And I think James, my guess is that James got this whole idea of humbling yourselves before the Lord. I bet he got it from his big brother, Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So here's the question for us today. Where is it that you need to submit to God and resist the devil? Where is it that you need to turn from your sin and turn toward your Savior? Because the promise is when you do, he will come near to you.
Let's pray. Father, I pray that somewhere in the midst of all of these words, that by the power of your spirit, you would give us an action step today of what it is that we need to do, where it is that we need to lay down our life and lay down our rights to surrender our everything, to stop walking in our pride and coming with our demands and simply hold up our hands and receive what it is that you've given to us. Holy Spirit, empower us to humble ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.